0: Do you
1: plan on belting anything or is it going to be real? Whoa, the out up.
0: That is all good.
1: Beautiful. Can okay, you one more? Yeah. There. Great, now let's figure out this keyboard thing
2: real quick. My guest this episode has music in his bones. Even his mic checks can give you chills. That is him there humming, strumming his guitar, sound checking with our engineer, Josh Newell. For this interview, this episode, I asked my very musical guest
0: to start with a song. I was just thinking about what song to play, and I've come to the conclusion Mm -hmm. that I'm going to play a song called Make Me Cry, which is a song by myself, uh, taken from my latest album, which is called Jesse, Volume 2. Today, the music and mission of Jacob Collier.
1: Mm -hmm. I
2: am Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Jacob Collier is an English singer, composer, and producer. Also, he's a prodigy. He first gained attention on YouTube in 2012 with these epic, virtuosic covers of songs like Stevie Wonder's Don't You Worry About a Thing. Since then, Jacob has signed on to Quincy Jones' record company, he's won two Grammys, he's collaborated with artists like Pharrell, and he's released three albums. This song you're hearing right now is from Jacob's most recent album, which came out this past July.
1: Why do you cry? So no one knows why, why,
2: why, why. Jacob has accomplished so much as a musician, and he's only 25. This is the part where I would describe Jacob's music to you, tell you where it fits in the music world. But here's the thing. It doesn't fit. It's too big. It's too bold. It is too genre-bending. There is no one word or label for the music that Jacob Collier makes. Jacob and I talk about just that and why he likes it that way. We also discuss what he's coming out with next. And he plays and sings some more. Enjoy
1: poor let it flow again. Can
0: I have just the tiniest bit more of my own microphone? Is this my. Oh, there you go. You gotta do a rapper voice. Turn my headphones up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, here we go. I, I'm actually. I'm all good right here. I've got the box. Remember, like, it,
2: like, there were several years where, like, every rapper. As an ad-lib before this song started, it was like, turn my headphones up.
0: Yeah, I know, of course. It's very annoying. Yeah, there's, there's a song on, on Jesse Volume 3, which is the album that has not yet come out, where I rap and I begin by saying, turn it down a little bit. Turn my vocal down a little bit. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that.
2: Uh, tell us about that song you just played, which is beautiful.
0: Thank you so much. So that was a song called, called Make Me Cry. Um mm-hmm. It was actually the first song I composed for the entirety of this quadruple album project that I've been working on for a couple of years now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's rather gentle. Very. On, on on the album, there's all these little little chiming guitars and, and different stringed instruments which will add up to this kind of warm... It's, it's almost like a, a cuddle, I suppose. Okay. It's a very warm, comforting song. And uh, it's in D, which is, I think, probably my favorite key as, as it stands. Why is D your favorite key? You know, I don't don't quite know. I mean, every key has a different flavor. Uh, D is is a wholesome key. It's not bland like C. It's not neutral. It's probably on on the bright side. I um, mean, any
2: key can be bright or neutral or sad if it, you make it that right. It's
0: true. It, it kind of it depends how how you wield it, and yeah. it depends how you arrive in that key. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, D is a, is a wonderful place to start because it's, it's like an unbiased feeling. <laughs> okay. You know what, you know what I'm okay. All right. So what do you want listeners to
2: learn about you and your work and your art from that song? you just Oh, played blimey. For that, them? that
0: might not be my business or my decision in, in a certain kind of a way. Huh. I suppose my, my job is to, is to describe spaces that are honest to me. And the goal, I suppose, is that the listener can hear themselves in, in some way in that song uh, and also in some way hear me. And so if, if if the listener is able to to identify with, with my honesty, then I'm being the most helpful I can possibly be.
2: Well, that is very nice
0: of you. Oh, cheers.
2: You do this thing where in the work I've heard of yours, all the Jesse albums before that, mm. you'll be plugging along with these chords that seem pretty conventional and make sense, and then you'll jump. <laughs> and it goes into yeah. this really weird place, and you're like, I didn't expect that chord, mm. but it works. You do that a lot, and I like it. I heard yeah, it in this you. song. Uh, you also have an incredibly impressive vocal range. Like, how many octaves were you
0: jumping in that song? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it it could be three or four, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm, Casually. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I I I do like to amble around yeah, in terms of range. I, I'm, I'm lucky to have that that low. That was very nice. Mm. Then I noticed
2: that you're just like virtuosic. You, at one point, at two points in that song, were playing the guitar
0: and the keyboard
2: at the same time.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. I guess when I was growing up, I didn't really think about being an instrumentalist per se. I didn't think, well, I want to be a piano player or I want to be a guitar player or even I want to be a singer. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to be a musician. Okay. And as I listened to music, I kind of understood it at face value. It was, well, if a musician is musicking, yeah. and outcomes, all these different layers. Yeah. And I didn't think too much about it. I just wanted to make music the way I was listening to it. And so, yeah, I would find myself in situations where I'd, I'd want to be hearing the sort of delicate stroking of a guitar at the same time as a sort of chord outline on, on the piano and singing a, a melody. And so you just learned all of them. I, I think, yeah, I, I sort of stumbled into, I shortcutted to, to the music rather than got stuck in, in, in the instruments, if that makes any sense, which obviously leaves gaping holes in my technique. But I feel like the gesture of, what I'm trying to communicate is intact.
2: It doesn't seem like there's any hole in your
0: technique here when you do that. Well, well thank you. How many instruments do you play? I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> um, one, one, one of the reasons for that being that I don't think that I particularly see a line between musical instruments and non-musical instruments. I mean, is as Keep good going, as a like djembe for, for me. This is the table underneath the microphone. And, and when I was a kid growing up, I had a house filled with with music because your family and, and, mu- and musicians
2: m- very musical, right? They
0: are, yeah, yeah. So I was I was basically brought up by a single mother with two younger sisters, and we all sang, and we all played, and we all listened, and we all discussed, and we all fascinated, and we all ah. enjoyed music. Y'all sang together. We did, and we still do. It. Every Christmas Day, we sing Bach chorales in four parts, which my is God. such a treat. It's still <laughs> one of my most favorite things to do in the world. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think I w- I was just drawn to things that made sound, and that includes lawnmowers and badminton rackets and saucepans and floors and marbles and guitars and double basses and pianos and over the course of the last 10 years or so I've been just collecting things that make sound from traditional means to non-traditional means and nowadays you can make music out of anything and I enjoy listening to and creating music that sounds like a person's life Um, and so for me I think I like to use the the materials around me to do so and so I I don't know if you'd count you know, marble rolling across the floor as an instrument. If, If so I guess I'd be playing instruments into the hundreds home, okay just with all of the different things in my in my home but yeah i divide sounds into families so you've got stringed instruments like mm-hmm. guitars and mandolins and ukuleles and bazookis and things like that you've got keyboard instruments mm-hmm. like the piano mm-hmm. and this red nord over here to my right yeah and uh things like melodica and and accordion to a certain extent uh-huh. things like that and then there are things that make rhythm and make groove which is basically everything in, in the whole world yeah everything in your hands yeah, yeah. including people's bodies and floors and ceilings and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then there's then there's the human voice. And I, I would probably say that the human voice is the most important of all mm. of those instruments. Yeah. Just because everybody has one. That is true.
2: You know, hearing you talk about how anything can be an instrument, mm. there is a song of yours from earlier in your career where you are going about and recording, like, sounds of a shipping dock. Yes. Which one is that?
0: That's a song called Savior. So what you'll hear with this groove is I walked around Blakeney Shipyard. And and Blakeney is is a place in Norfolk. It's one of my most favorite places in the world. There are all these ships and there is this high wind. And so what you get with ships is the sails kind of rattling against all of those materials above the ship. And so I walked around. I I smashed my hand against some barrels. I listened to the sound of this thing Uh um, walking along. Uh took those sounds home, (laughs) recorded a groove at 45 BPM, and sped the groove up to 80 BPM, which is the tempo of this particular song, and you Uh get this strange sludge of sounds moving and grooving that sounds a little unusual, but Mm -hmm. still kind of feels like a more traditional pocket.
2: That is... I mean you must know how how unusual that is. I and lots of other people walk through the world every day hearing lots of different kinds of sounds. Few of us think to record it all and make a song out of it.
0: Yeah, I only realized how unusual it was when I started talking to people about it and realized that other people didn't necessarily do it. Yeah. Because for me it felt quite normal. It was like, well, <laughs> I've got an idea, and there are infinite sounds at all times around me, so why not just turn on the tap and collect them? Yeah. It makes a kind of logical sense. I mean, we all carry around a pretty decent microphone and a, a pretty decent camera. That's true. And that's kind of all the materials you need to begin an idea. Yeah. And even arguably have a career. You know? You're
2: one of the few musicians I've talked to who seems to be intimating that, like, the smartphone is good
0: for music. I think it is. Uh, it's, it's an amazing device. Especially when it when, when it's on airplane mode. It's <laughs> the most valuable <laughs> it ever it ever is.
1: Tell yeah. All right,
2: time for a break. Coming up more from very, very talented musician, Jacob Collier. BRB.
1: Support for NPR and the following message come from Rothy's. Rothy's are the stylish, comfortable, and sustainable
0: flats seamlessly crafted from repurposed plastic bottles, available in a range of colors,
1: patterns, and styles like flats, loafers, and sneakers. Fully machine washable and no break-in period. Discover why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes. Rothy's
0: always offers free shipping and free returns and exchanges. Go to rothys.com minute to find out more.
2: The world is complicated. But knowing the past can help us understand it so much better. That's where we come in. I'm Randa abdel I'm Ramteen Arablui, and we're the hosts of Throughline, NPR's history podcast. Every week, we'll dig into forgotten stories from the moments that shaped our world. Throughline from NPR. Listen and subscribe now. When did you realize, as a musician, as a person, that you're different? You see sound and hear sounds differently. You process them differently. You are a virtuoso of many different instruments. You are gifted in a way that lots of people are not. When did you know, maybe this music thing comes a lot easier to me than it does to a lot of other people? It's
0: it's an interesting question. I mean, in some ways, if I were to think of myself as different all the time, it wouldn't do me any favors. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, people are doing many different kinds of creative things. A lot of those lines are overlapping. and. I think we're also realizing in, in politics, uh, with, w- between people, across continents, and I've certainly learned this by traveling around recording these different collaborators across these four albums, but we're, we're really similar to each other. And my outlook on the world, although unique to me, has things in common with a few different people in, in different areas. Uh, when I was growing up and learning about music, for me, it was it was more of a language than a skill set. Okay. And so... I collected as many sounds as I was fascinated by. I began to understand how to put musical harmony together, musical rhythm together. I didn't think of myself as set apart with those fascinations. I just wanted to make those kinds of sounds that I was hearing in my head come as as true as possible. And as I began to speak to other people and learn, and when I got into jazz music at about about 16 or 17, Uh I guess that was when I realized that my approach was rather left field. It was a little unconventional. But the things I was fascinated by are the same things that many people are fascinated by. Mm Storytelling, narrative, Mm -hmm. gesture, poetry, groove, dance, movement. These are universal concepts, but I was bringing my own life to those concepts. And I suppose that and my determination to not do what other people felt to be normal in the face of what I believe to be right, I think that was one thing that perhaps set me apart. And it's something that I'm still fascinated by today, the idea of just staying with your own own narrative and and your own beliefs. And I, I guess... My 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 realization early on in my sort of musical making was that nobody was gonna be me other than me. It was impossible mm. for anybody to mm. approach the world with my sense of aesthetic and understanding. Yeah. And, yeah. and that doesn't mean that I'm greater than another person. It just means that I have a responsibility to tell my own story. Mm. I'm sure that there are many executives at many a label mm. who mm. would
2: see someone as young as you that can play those their instruments like you do and sing like that. They'd say, oh, I can package this. Yeah. They want to package you and make you a thing that yeah. is, you know, top 40 ready, commercially mm. viable, mm. go.
0: I, I, have you experienced I, that? I appreciate that as a vantage point because those guys can be amazing at their jobs. Um, I just <laughs> I, I, selfishly have just been so stubborn against that from, from the word go. Even when I was 18 or 19 and I, I began to sort of get this this glimpse into what the music industry looked like and mm-hmm. the kinds of people that you would meet in that, in that space. Uh-huh. I, I, I was so turned off by the whole, the whole idea of even, even stardom, you know, be, being a star and that being more valuable than all the other people in the world and people looking up to that. And it is a rather strange thing to look at, especially if you're interested in creating things because it goes against some of the fundamentals. I mean, I think that the idea of being vulnerable in your creative space it can only survive in a place where you're able to be yourself. Yeah. But for me, I think that, yeah, the challenge and the joy about this period of time in the industry is that people with good ideas are able to package themselves in a way that feels natural to them. Yeah. And the, the reason I'm lucky with my current team mm-hmm. is that I think that they understand that and, and they trust me and they mm-hmm. give me complete creative control and the space to do what's right for me. And for that reason alone, I can imagine myself still growing an artistic voice in 20, 30, 40 years rather than entering into somebody else's idea of what's right and wrong and ending up in, in their space. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I guess I'm crafting my own space and, and it feels right right now. And, and yeah. it's, it's definitely not that other people's ideas can, can enter into that process and, and help me grow and, and challenge me, which is I, I love. Yeah, It's more that it's my, my baseline belongs to me and, and that is yeah. crucial. It's yeah. crucial. My space. My, my space. Exactly.
2: Speaking of your space and mm. like following your creative impulses, I want to talk now about this project. You're currently halfway through. You mm. are it's what is this? An epic four album series uh, yeah. called Jesse mm. with the D. D. J. D. J. E. S. E. For sure. I wanna play one track from I think the second album, which is been out for a few months and i want to talk about that and talk about sweet how you put the whole thing together cool can we start at like 4 25 josh in uh feel but
1: you, so good Yeah.
2: wow I'm talking about you've got those those early chords you're like I get that I know where that's going and then you go crazy (laughs) into the darkness but I can still follow it yeah like right here
0: Call that. Magical mystery chords. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a funny challenge, you know, because I've always loved musical harmony as a way of navigating one's emotions. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's so powerful what you can do by leading somebody down a particular road um, and then disrupting that road. But one thing I really like doing and one thing I did in that snippet that you just played yeah. was the melody makes sense to everybody's ear. The melody yes. is reasonable. Yes. Very reasonable. The harmony underneath is most definitely surprising, but it's controlled in its release of tension. Huh. And so you have a melody that feels inevitable.
1: Uh-huh. That's
0: absolutely fine. We all understand that. Yeah. But underneath, you've got this this doggery going on, and all this all this it, movement. It's almost chromatic. It, it, it well, it is chromatic, yeah, um, in, in, in some ways. And, and so I think for me, just having concentrated and fascinated <laughs> over what chords can do Yeah, and stretch that to the limit. I've always stretched that to the absolute limit. I've always enjoyed that feeling of controlling that dissonance in in the ultimate way because I think that it's that thing of of understanding, first of all, what the notes are that make sense, what the notes are that fight each other, Uh and then where those notes are placed in time. You know, is it, you make me feel, or is it, you make me feel. Are we behind the beat? Or is it, you make me feel. Are we ahead Uh of the beat? And that whole... That whole gravity, like the, the gravity to time, which in this particular song, Feel, was something I was obsessed with.
2: A thing you're doing on these four albums, Jesse, is working with other people, like mm. Leanne LaHavis, Le who was in this song, Feel, that we just yeah. played. But your early stuff and your first album, it was just you. You did all the vocals, you played all the instruments, mm. it was a one, literally a one-man band. Your first tour was you as a one-man a, band. One-man show. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What made you say, all right, for this four-album series, I will collaborate. Because you could have just not
0: collaborated. I I, I could have. I I could have. Um, It was logical. It made sense. It felt like the natural step forward. I had spent, well, 21 years at the time studying music in the sense of listening and becoming fascinated and becoming well-acquainted and learning how to record sounds, learning how to create sounds. I wanted to begin a dialogue with the music world at large, I suppose. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to be in, in, in the center of this journey Essentially, a selfish journey just to learn as much as I could from all of my heroes, to be completely honest. And in so doing, I I began to map out what this huge project might look like. And it began as one really, really long album and Uh moving between all these different musical worlds, navigating these things. I then realized that this this, this was ludicrous. There'll be be too many ideas to, to make a coherent pathway. So it became two albums. Okay. And, and then... I, I Yeah, I, I began to think about the, each uh, each of those two albums as as sort of a, like an A-side and a B-side. After a while, I realized that this, this made no sense to be two. It had to be three or four. And <laughs> I, I, I started with three, and I, I realized that there were kind of three distinct worlds that I wanted to explore. There was the orchestral, huge acoustic space there with choirs and, and, and the orchestral sound and the big band sound and all of that, the epic ballads, the the great big stretching, yearning chords that come with an orchestra. Then there was the much smaller space, which was, mm-hmm. I guess, based more in world music, jazz music, folk music, songwriting, mm-hmm. that smaller acoustic sound. And then there was the absence of space altogether. There's the <laughs> negative space, the, the electronic inner wonderlands that okay. we all operate within many, many, many times a day, yeah. uh, which is what goes on inside our heads, what goes on in the darkness, what goes on within the, w- within the, the electricity and within the bazaar, yeah, and those were the three spaces I laid out, and I realised that it wouldn't make sense to end in the darkness. I had to somehow combine all these different sounds and celebrate them at the end altogether, uh-huh. and thus the four volumes of Jesse emerged. So it, it moves from gospel church music to English choral music to actually this this idea that I'm beginning to grow, which is you know working with audiences yeah. at shows and and getting these thousands of people in rooms to sing. Multiple chords at once and multiple harmony parts at once, and the feeling of singing the, the the feeling that the average person of the world gets with singing and framing that within jesse volume four yeah it's, it's something i've i 've just loved recently on 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 shows at, at the end of, of my concert, and so i i 'll split the crowd into three or four or five different parts sometimes. And using essentially just my hands, and my arms, I can I can control them without singing. I can control what they're doing: notes up and down, notes quieter and louder, different sounds, different Wait, with grooves. The just the audience. I'm playing the audience. I think right now they're my most favorite instrument to play.
2: What What are you making them play? What kind of songs? Well,
0: triads, three-part songs, four-part songs. But most of the time it's improvising. It's like, well, what. What, what's collective what's going on? Improvising? What's going on in the room right now? You know, okay. And people sing, people people shout, people stand up, and people wave their hands around. But I'm sort of controlling that tension and release again. It's huh. it's like. This continuum of sound, and uh-huh. using my my fingers, I, I can I can. Wait, when you're signaling, no what down. are
2: they gonna What do they do when you signal? Like if I go to your show, yeah, and you put me in, you whatever, come through. I sure will. Um, but how do I know what your hand motions are gonna t- be telling me what to do?
0: Well, that's my job, and <coughs> and that's what I've spent the last couple of years figuring out. Do it, um, me. I do it now. So if I go, Whoa, uh, and then I go. Okay, that's fine. Excellent. Oh. So you you, you, you <laughs> I, knew to go up when I went you were up. Doing upgrade, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily have expected you to go up a whole octave, but well, that, that know, was that got was on the range. you. range. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, one more break right here. When we come back, Jacob walks us through how he actually made a song in the studio with another artist, not just by himself, and how he collaborates with dozens of people and even dozens more instruments. <laughs> Support for this podcast is brought to you by Discover Card. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply.
1: Listen to Planet Money for all kinds of weird and interesting stories that just happen to teach you a bit about money and the economy and how the world works. Planet Money from NPR. Subscribe now.
2: You start as this musician who is making everything on your own, all the instruments. You're in this phase of your career where you're doing a lot of collaborating with a lot of different people. Which is easier,
0: which is harder, and which do you like best? It's so hard to say. I mean, they're they're not separate enough processes at this point for me to judge them against each other. I'm still very much involved within the collaboration of controlling the different musical elements, Mm -hmm. even with the orchestra. You know, I'm not not recording 300 tracks on top of one another and recording all those sounds myself, as I was used to doing before. I'm writing 60 different orchestral parts and handing them out to 60 musicians. Mm. But those ingredients, those elements are still within my control to an Mm -hmm. extent because they're part of my narrative. And so the challenge that's come is bridging the gap between my universe and another person's universe without just superimposing mine because I have so many ideas at all times and I have such a keen understanding of what I feel is right and wrong musically Mm -hmm. that sometimes my nature will be to go into a scenario and say, okay, do this exact thing Mm -hmm. and I know it's gonna work. Mm -hmm. And often it will work, but Mm -hmm. the magic won't be there that could have been there were they to have brought something to the table from their own wheelhouse. Uh-huh. And you know, it's, it's been a huge lesson for me and, and in some ways it's the lesson I, I wanted to learn myself and the reason why I did this whole thing was uh-huh. just to figure out how to marry my space with other people's spaces and for other possibilities to have made themselves known to me. Hmm. On Jesse Volume One, there's an amazing musician called Hamid El Kassri. Uh-huh and he comes from Rabat in Morocco. Okay, I'd never been to Morocco before, but I had been obsessing over uh, Gnawa music, which is the music uh, of which he is a master. And it, it's a kind of street music in Morocco, and it has this pocket. It's like.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That immediately for me was like, Jacob is hooked. It, there's a little, it's like rolling like an egg. I think of it as uh-huh. rolling like an egg. Yeah. Right. And Hamid, I mean, I, I did lots of research. I grew up in the in the era of YouTube, okay. and it was wonderful to be able to search Gnawa so okay, okay. Who, who who are the Gnawa legends around right now? who, who uh-huh. should I be listening to? I trawled through many a Gnawa musician, and it turned out that Hamid al Kari, this guy was the legend. he was ah. the living legend of Gnawa, yeah, and he didn't speak a word of English, huh and his manager hisham who's who's awesome actually he he spoke enough English for us to communicate well okay. And we created this song. We we wrote these words together, which are in, in his native language, which is Arabic. So the way that Ganawa works is that there's a lead singer and then there's four Koyos okay. surrounding him who play these metal castanets and they uh-huh. sing the responses to, to the lead, which is Howard in this case. Uh-huh. We sat in a room and, and we jammed out some ideas, we 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 messed with some bass lines. Uh-huh. And I brought this idea in where there were three beats in every beat and three beats in a bar. So it was <laughs> And Hamid, you made it a waltz. I, well, I kind of made it a waltz. It was a, an, an an alt Ganawa waltz. <laughs> Hamid was rather confused by this, uh, yeah. and it wasn't through his own lack of musicality. It's yeah. because the style of music that he was used to playing would never have dreamed of playing three four. Yeah, because why would you do that? Yeah, because four four are, are where, are where all the do. stories are being told. Uh-huh. So, so why why remove yourself from that? So. You know, I, I immediately learned that my construct of what was possible within his style of music didn't make sense to him. And so we, we disregarded the 3-4 thing. We, we, we stuck with 4-4. Four, four. Then there's a section of the song where it moves to 5-4, where I sing on my own. This, so 3-4 was
2: too much for him, but 5-4, he's like, yeah, sure.
0: No, what, what kind of, I mean, I wanted to do the 5-4 thing really for myself. Okay. And, and so the dialogue between the two of us was, Hammond stays in 4-4, four, four, does the thing that only Hammond can do that I can't dream of doing, which is his whole, his whole thing. And then I move into 5-4, and that's when the orchestra come in. And so, and so, it's this surprise. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this amazing balance between this kind of five, this great big broad kind of brushstroke orchestral ambling in this broad space, and then Hamid's like streets of Morocco vibe. And for the thing is crazy, I wrote a lot of this music for a concert that I was gifted at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Wow! And they have a concert series called the BBC Proms. Mm-hmm. I flew Hamid over. And wow. it, was, it was his first ever UK show. Wow. He'd never been in, in London before. It a very fancy show. venue. And we performed this song live with the Metropole Orchestra and with, with, with Jules Buckley, the conductor, yeah. trying to figure out how to do these threes, fours, and fives. Yeah. And it was such a special moment because having really? walked out on stage, no one had ever heard about Gnawa music before. Yeah, yeah. But check this out. This is Everlasting Motion, the song that we performed in the Albert Hall, the song that we recorded in Casablanca, and the result of a lifetime of Gnawa fascination and a bridging of our two worlds. Yeah. So right now we' are we're still in three,
1: four, two, three, two, three. one, two, two. two, three,
0: And now how much melody starts and we move into four. One. The responses? And the words Hamadet is singing about are about how, essentially, music is the force that can unite these nations and unite the people, and in music we are equal, which is simple enough, but fundamentally important enough, to describe exactly what this is. It's a meeting of our two worlds. He comes from an incredibly rich musical tradition, which still, in the music world at large, is is rather unknown. For me, just as someone who's fascinated by his sound, I'm bringing to the table I guess my own understanding of, of, of rhythm and call and response and, and musical harmony. And so there's this sort of amalgamation of these different musical voices. Um, this when, is you when, now. Huh? When we join together, this is yeah. me right now, yeah. yeah. And
1: you've
0: got some orchestra things going on as well. Here we are, we're going to move into 5 4 into the expanse of the orchestral planes five one, two. Four, two, five, one. Wow. it kind of cleanses the palate I suppose after yeah. the intensity the, the, yeah. you can't look away from Pamit singing yeah um, I love as you say I love chopping and changing these different yeah. scenarios and, and my job is to Producer arranger composer is to is to marry those spaces yeah. successfully
2: How do you know when you've got just enough ideas in a song
0: or one too many? hmm It's an excellent question. Um, I think for me, it it, it comes down to what the raw materials of the song are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in order to find the raw materials of a song, to figure out what the song that you're writing is actually about, for me, the best thing to do is to get every idea under the sun on paper out so I can consider them and I can judge them all against each other and I can figure out what feels right. And so many times when I write music, I will string together these different musical scenarios sometimes from different parts of my life. There'll be old seeds mixed with new seeds of ideas and the whole thing is joined together. And that becomes a string of different spaces that I try to organize. And then oftentimes I'll I'll lose a couple of sections. It'll be like, well, this will be good for this other song or this will Mm -hmm. be good for my pot of ideas that I may never look at again or Mm -hmm. whatever. For a song like Everlasting Motion, I think it made sense to be ambling between these two different spaces. Um, But I I think in in answer to your question, you, you, you feel it. You okay. feel when there, there's too much going on. That said, my idea of too much going on is n- usually far beyond most other people's idea of what's <laughs> too much going on. I, I love say. songs with like six or seven or eight different things going on at once, and that's just me. But wow. I think, yeah, my, my job is to is to present these different spaces, whether it's within one song or within four albums, mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't feel disingenuous to the story I'm trying to tell, most importantly. And also is not just too much going on so that you can't enter the music and see yourself in it and approach it in a way where you can understand one space and stay with it long enough for it to move you i suppose
2: that is so cool who in top 40 land is doing that kind of thing for you right now a lot of ideas in a song Um, because i heard you talking about it and like there's there have been a few rappers now that are like making songs that will feel like three songs in one mm, mm, like travis scott to a certain extent for sure yeah
0: he's definitely good at bridging these different gaps I would say, I mean, not exactly top forty, but somebody like Kendrick will always understand this. Yeah. And if you go to his iconic To Pimper Butterfly record yeah. and just check out what's going on there, he's got he's marrying all these different spaces, you know, from more traditional kinda of trap rap zones to yeah, like more, up jazz. to yeah, to more jazz related things, to poems, to spaces where there's no rhythm at all, there's just, just chords and harmony. Yeah. And then there's some things where it's it's real dark and there's some things where it's real bright and obviously lyrically he's moving within those spaces as well but he's always had a very keen understanding of of yeah, how to how to marry those spaces and obviously he has ventured into the top forty territory and has brought with him that wheelhouse that yeah. way of thinking F- for me that that's also really important just the idea of you know all of these different ideas and different philosophies and different theories and different elements of different musical areas are coming together not in the name of technique mm. not in the name of complexity even but in the name of musical expression and in, in the name of joy. And I think for me that, that the alchemy of music, the wonder of music is that you can turn these different spaces into something which is coherent and tells a story, you know, and that can be as rich and multi-layered and kaleidoscopic and incandescent as you like. It can also be really stripped down, you know, when I just play the guitar and sing or just play the piano and sing, and there are plenty of moments like that across Jesse Volume 1 and 2 as well. Yeah. And for me, the only reason why I do music at all is because I feel it so much and I want to explain those feelings in a way that's articulate, but huh. man, Ganawa meets hip-hop, it's happening <sighs> it's happening right now
2: Thanks again to Jacob Collier for joining me in studio at NPR West, and singing for me as well. You're hearing right now a cover that Jacob loves to sing the classic song, You've Got a Friend by Carole Kane. Jacob says he loves to sing it because his audience actually sings along to this song when he performs
1: it When you're down and troubled, and you lead some loving care.
2: His newest album, Jesse, Volume 2, is out right now. Volumes 3 and 4 are on the way very soon. And Jacob announced this week that he's doing a Jesse world tour next spring. Go look for it. He might be in your town. Special thanks to our engineer, Josh Newell, who helped us record Jacob in the studio performing those songs for us. All right, listeners, we're back on Friday with our weekly wrap. Going to leave you with some more of Jacob's cover of You've Got a Friend. Till next time. Talk soon.
1: To brighten up Even your darkest night You just call On my name And you know Wherever I am I'll come running, 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 running To see you again Mm -hmm. Winter, spring, summer or fall All you gotta do is call above you, grows dark, dark and full of clouds. That old north wind begins to blow, keep your head together. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running, 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 running now to see you again. Winter. Spring, summer, or fall.